Uh, one thing, today we celebrate communion. So the second uh, Sunday of every month, we celebrate communion. Here's the thing with communion that we're going to do just always as part of our communion celebration. We proclaim that we serve a God who's not dead, who's alive. But in that, God also calls us to be agents of restoration, just like he was an agent of restoration to a world that desperately needed it. And so always on Communion Sunday, we're going to take a second offering. Uh, the buses will wait. The doors will be locked. Um, the Just kidding. Uh, the, you'll get, some of you will get that at lunch. Uh, but we're going to take a second offering, and it's just a benevolent offering. Um, as a church, we want to be always in a place where if there was somebody who had an immediate need, we could step in and fill that need. Uh, and we could do it through the budget, but it's also something to to do it as a abundance. Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us is really all about abundance, the abundant gift that that we receive. So that that's going to be the piece there. I should also say this. This is just announcement time. He, here's the interesting piece. This. Uh, many of you who are daybreakers would know that we have like uh, a land loan that has kind of slowly been a part of who we are. Um, we've been incredibly blessed with the resources that God's given to us. Um, you, you know, to to be in the middle of a city now that before we were out in the hay fields. And and in that, there's this little land loan, and I don't believe God's going to call us to what's next until we take care of kind of what's been <laughs> in the past. And so in that past, one of our goals as a council is over the next little bit to work to get rid of that land loan. So then we can start to dream uh, about the future. Now, some of you who are daybreakers are like, we've heard this before. Uh, I really believe we're positioned in a place to do that now. And so you'll you'll hear little things that we're going to do throughout this year just to talk about the land loan and to to get ready for the future. Sound good? All right. Uh, many of us would say this, that we're living in a land of perpetual offense. We're actually going to talk for the next little bit, the next month about uh, some values that God calls us to have, virtues that God calls us to have, that we don't necessarily aspire to anymore. Uh, I love Scott McKnight, one of my favorite authors, uh, said this in Loving God and Loving People. He, he said that a disciple is someone who engages with Jesus as a person, which is really that intimate relationship we have with Jesus, who engages with Jesus as a person and because of, because of that begins to live out the virtues that Jesus talks about. Like as we fall more in love with Jesus, we actually start to live like Jesus called us to live. And, and, and it's hard because the, the world around us is quick to judge, quick to criticize, quick to condemn, quick to, to cancel anyone who offends us. And I find myself, a lot of times, we're in the same place. I, I, I'm quick to be offended. You know, it used to be that those who were well-known... Like, we'd hack on politicians, 
We'd hack on multi-million dollar athletes. We maybe would hack on the business leader. But unfortunately, what it's turned to now is it's somebody like your grade five teacher. That grade five teacher says something that you don't like, and so you kind of discard them. Maybe it's that person you work with. It, it could be that friend that you interact with on social media that crosses some line that you have in your head, and so you just write them out of your life. See, it doesn't take much in our culture to do that. It might be this single misstatement that we make. It could be a misunderstanding. It could be something intentional, something that's very, very dumb. It could be a tweet that's 10 years old. But there might be a person in your life that literally had years and years of integrity, but with one moment of foolishness, or even one moment of sinfulness, we just completely write them off. The the tragedy to me is that this is occurring not with those who are well-known, who we see in the news or see on the television screen, but today we cancel out our friends, or worse off, we cancel out our family. There are family members who don't speak because they don't like the way the other family member voted or who they follow on social media. Or there was that disagreement at the supper table. And so we just distance ourselves. We dispose of them. We have disposable friendships. You know, it it doesn't have to be something that's big or what's majorly important. It could be just the simple thing that I just don't like the way that that person was looking at me. Or they never comment on my posts. Or they're really slow to respond to my texts. Because you know that one time I texted you and I saw that you started to respond on my iPhone. I saw the bubble. And then you ghosted me. So I'm done with you. So we live in this age of perpetual offense. We have to acknowledge the truth that if you're on a continuous search to be offended, you'll always find what you're looking for. And we live in such a culture that's almost looking to be offended, looking to be angry, looking to dishonor. But the way that God's called us to live is very different than the way that the current culture calls us to live. In fact, Scripture tells us this in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, and this is going to introduce our first virtue in this series, the virtue of honor. Be devoted, be dedicated to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Okay, so how are you doing at that? How are we doing with that? How are we doing honoring one another above ourselves? And that's why today I want to talk to you about one of the most important and most overlooked virtues 
that really matters to God and it needs to matter to us. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Mark chapter 6. Okay, so Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Here's the context while you're looking for it. If you have an iPhone Bible, you can win any sword drill. But Mark chapter 6, Jesus had just done some pretty amazing miracles. They were hugely powerful miracles. He had healed a woman that had an issue of bleeding for 12 years. He brought healing into her life. And then even more incredible, there was this little girl that actually died. She was physically dead. And at the power of his spoken word, he raised this girl from the dead. Two pretty powerful miracles. Jesus goes into his hometown. Now this was, uh, this was not his birthplace. This was the place where Jesus grew up. He goes into his hometown of Nazareth. People were looking for the Messiah. They kept saying, where is he? Where is he? Jesus comes as the Messiah. And they look right past that kid. They didn't show him any honor. And we're actually going to see the difference. So look at Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Jesus left that part of the country. He returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next, verse 2, the next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue. And many who heard were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Look at verse 3. Kind of our response. Where did he get all this? Look at verse 3. Then he, they scoffed. <laughs> He's just a carpenter. He's the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. His sisters live right among us. They were deeply offended. And they they refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Which then begs the the question for us, what's the difference between showing honor and withholding honor? Now we'll go back into seminary, so uh, Bible school. I want to show you a couple of Greek words that you can find in Scripture. The very first one, and it's going to be on the screen, is atomos. Okay, atomos. This word means without honor. The word of atomos means to dishonor or to treat common as common or ordinary. It's basically to say there's nothing special about you. There's no reason to treasure you. I shouldn't say anything good about you. I shouldn't expect anything from you. You're simply ordinary. You're common. The word that is translated as honor, it looks like the word time, but it's pronounced timmy, timmy. And this word actually means to value, to respect, to highly esteem. It means to treat as precious, as weighty, as valuable. What do you think honor does? When we honor somebody, it esteems, it cherishes, it values, it builds up, it encourages, it believes the best. When we dishonor someone, what, do, what, does, that hap, what does that do? 
treats as common. It tears down, it belittles, it criticizes, it devalues, it assumes the worst. It's a little bit like this. I want you to use your imagination. If a guy is dating a girl, that guy usually says, she smells good. I like everything about her. He shows her honor. He honors her by opening the door for her. He honors her by taking her on a date. Y'all remember what a date is, right? Okay. Some of you are hitting your husbands right now. The, the guy gives the girl compliments. He compliments everything. He brags on her. One day they get married. They settle down. And over time, what happens? They take each other for granted. Instead of honoring and lifting, he starts to treat her as ordinary. He starts to say, this is my girl. He comes home and says to his girl, what did you do all day? Friends, if you want a God-honoring marriage, what do you do? You honor each other. You want a common marriage? You treat each other as ordinary. Because when you do what was once special, becomes ordinary every single time. See, here's the problem. We often tend to think that, you, that once you act honorably, then I'll show you honor. Let me say that again. We often tend to think that once you act in an honorable way, then my response to you is honor. Once you live in such a way that, that you deserve honor, then at that moment, I'll go ahead and describe honor to you. There's a huge difference between honor and respect. We know that respect is earned, but honor, on the other hand, is given. Honor is always a posture of the heart. It's a humility of saying, God, because of who you are, and God, because of your creation, even if they're not acting in an honorable way, I choose to honor because this is one of the ways that I actually honor you. And here's what happens. What's crazy is when you start to ascribe honor to someone and you treat them as special and weighty and precious, and as you start to build them up and believe the best and encourage them, they often just start to become honorable. And on the other hand, when we assume the worst, and we tear them down, and we tell them over and over and over again when they're not, and we belittle them, and you criticize them, and you take them out at the knees, it's amazing how often they start acting even more dishonorably. Why? Why? Because honor always builds up and dishonor always tears down. So friends, how are we going to respond? Here's four different categories, okay? So four different categories of places where we should honor, okay? Here's the very first one. We're to honor God. God is our creator, our sustainer, the God who is more than enough. 
He's the provider. He's the Holy One. The One who spoke and created all that is our Redeemer, our Savior, our God. How do we honor God? Scripture gives us all kinds of different ways. One of the ways we honor God is to honor Him with what He gives to us. Proverbs 3.9 says this. King Solomon wrote these great words. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Everything. Absolutely everything that we have comes from God. Everything that we are comes from God. And so when God gives us any increase, we honor Him with 10% back as an honor of the goodness that God has for us. But we honor God with our bodies. Our bodies are holy. They're set apart for His glory. That means some places we won't go and some things we won't do and some things we won't look at and some things that we will do because we're different. Because God calls us to be holy and set apart. We honor Him with our worship. It's not just lip service. It's the overflow of our hearts because of who He is and what He has done. We honor the goodness of God in a culture that makes fun of God. We honor God. But here's the second area we need to honor. We're to honor our parents. If you're a kid in this room, we're not going to ID you, but if you're a kid in this room, I, I want to talk to you for a second. You might think my parents are weird. Guess what they are? We're old. That's fine. Exodus, Exodus 20, sorry, Exodus 20 verse 12 says this, honor your mother and father so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving to you. Parents, we're not called to be buddies to our children as much as we're called to be the spiritual authority imparting life unto them. And we're going to teach them honor in our homes so that they will know how to honor throughout their whole lives. We honor those who are over us. And if you think for one moment that your, that your kids are going to honor some boss when they didn't honor you in the home... You're robbing them of the blessing of teaching them to ascribe honor to those who are around them. We honor God. We honor our parents. The third area, we honor those in authority. If I haven't got you bitter quite yet, I'm about to do it now. Because some of you will say, I'm not honoring the current administration or the past administration or whoever is over me. Let me be really honest with you. Over years, I have liked some of our leaders more than others. I can always learn to disagree without dishonoring. There's a huge difference. We honor our leaders. We pray for those we voted for, and we pray for those that we didn't vote for. We pray for our leaders. It's the right thing to do. We don't have to agree. Look at the Old Testament. David was running for his life from Saul. Saul, King Saul, is trying to kill him. And what did David do? He still showed honor. I don't know about you, but to this day, I've never had the prime minister try to kill me. 
if you can be under that type of authority and still show honor, our God shows us to honor our leaders with a posture of prayer. You can disagree without being dishonorable. Friends, we're better than that. And the fourth one, our pastors and spiritual leaders. 1 Timothy 5.17 says this, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. I don't want to sound self-serving, so I'm going to deflect this whole section. But the Bible does say that those who oversee the, the church are worthy of double honor. Why does honor mean so much? Why does it matter? It's not just right before God, but to be dishonorable actually hurts you as an individual. Anytime that you're dishonoring, it actually hurts you. Scripture teaches us this in Mark chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Go back to our text. Jesus was talking to those around him. He said, a prophet is not, wor- is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his own relatives, and in his own home. Look at verse 5, this crazy little verse that slides in. Jesus couldn't do any miracles there except lay his hand on a few sick people and heal them. Let me read it again. Let it sit in. Jesus couldn't do any miracles there except lay his hand on a few sick people and heal them. Here's what's crazy. It doesn't say that Jesus would not. But Scripture tells us that he could not. Now, remember where we started this? We know that before he could because he raised a dead girl to life. He had healed that woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. But in this context, when there was a lack of faith and when there is a lack of honor, he couldn't do any big miracles. I don't understand this. I'm not going to pretend like I do. But what it appears is a lack of honor and a lack of faith actually limited Jesus to what he would have done. So I wonder what miracles God has wanted to do for you. What blessings God wanted to give you. What prayers God actually wanted to answer for you, but you lacked honor. Remember where we started Romans 12, verse 10? Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So how are we doing? In a culture where you write your friend off because of a Facebook post, honor one another above yourselves. I actually really like it, the way that it says it in the English Standard Version. It's going to come up on the screen. To outdo one another in showing honor. Man, outdo. I want to outdo you in showing honor. Could we actually be a church that outdoes each other by showing honor? 
You want a marriage that's blessed? Instead of tearing each other down, instead of uh, trying to be right, what if we actually outloved one another? What if you actually tried to out-encourage one another? What if you tried to outgive one another? What if you tried to out-cherish or out-esteem one another? We're going to outdo one another in showing honor. Who do you need to honor today? Seriously. Who do you need to honor today? Do you need my help? I honor these people, my parents, who their sacrifice, their support, they just showed me Jesus. I honor my wife, Michelle. I couldn't have chosen a better life than what I have today. My kids who teach me that their world is a lot bigger than what I see my little world being. My grandpa who led my entire family to Jesus. He was a hard man, but God got a hold of him later in life. And over the phone, we accepted Jesus while he called us from Clinton, Ontario to Edmonton, Alberta. And the next Sunday, we were in church because Grandpa had changed so much over the phone. He gave me his Bible, which just was a journey of discipleship. And all his little notes that he wrote. Man, I honor our daybreak council here. They have made some incredibly tough decisions, but have always kept God as their focus. I honor Pastor Morell. For 10 years, I had the privilege of going on a missions trip with students to a little town called Soledad, California, where all your lettuce comes from. Pastor Morell, an 80-year-old pastor at a little Assembly of God church, just loved our students. I honor Jesus. The one whose name is above every name. His name is Jesus. Here's what scares me, friends. Matthew 15, verse 8 says this, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, we live in a culture today where we give God lip service. We treat God as familiar, as common, as ordinary. He's not the six-pound, eight-ounce, tiny baby Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is soon returning as the conquering King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's our Jesus. And we honor Him with, a, with our hearts. So when we honor God, when we honor people, one of the ways that we honor God is by honoring people above ourselves. Why do we do that when they're different and when they're wrong? Because they're still His kids. They still need the same grace that you and I receive. We honor them because His name is on them. He created them. And that's what I want you to understand is you're not common. You're not ordinary because His name's on you. 
It's because of His name. What's it that makes you valuable? It's the name that is above every name, and His name is the name of Jesus. If you're a Christian, a Christ follower, what makes you valuable is the name of Jesus. And so, friends, our only reasonable response is to show Jesus honor. How do we do that? We honor one another above ourselves. And so if you find yourself recognizing you've lived a little bit without honor, it's not just right, but it actually can hurt us. So let's commit to building each other up with honor. Let me pray. God, what a great gift, a reminder of your power. Thank you for calling us. We are so thrilled that you have written your name on our hearts. Lord, we love you in your name. Amen. Many of you have been a part of church for a long time. You know what communion is. If this is your first time being in church or it's a familiar thing, but you haven't yet fully understood it, let me just say this about communion. Paul wrote in Corinthians that we're to proclaim that our God's not dead, but alive whenever we come together. It was a great reminder for those early Christ followers. There's not many rules with communion. This isn't daybreak's table. This isn't something that you have to have membership in. The only rule is that you have to be a Christ follower. And I don't believe that there would be a greater opportunity to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior than at the start of communion. Uh, And so if you haven't, it's really simple. Scripture just tells us we just proclaim that He's Lord. We ask for forgiveness of our sins because we're never good enough. And we commit to living a life that has things like the virtue that we talked about today. For us that are Christ followers, the interesting piece is communion gives us a time to stop and kind of evaluate where we are. So how are we doing with honor? How are we doing with the the way that God's called us to live? Maybe January just got us and we are really distracted. And so communion just kind of allows us to kind of go, all right, I need that. I need the Savior. I need Jesus. I need the cross. The the elements are are interesting because it's not like some, some forefather in the church created, hey, let's have bread and cup. This was actually from the the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. And bread was a common thing for the disciples. They didn't have utensils back then. That's a modern construct. And so some of you can remember your parent, your dad probably, would clean his plate using bread. And the disciples would have been sitting there and Jesus looked at them and said, the time's now. I, I've come to do my Father's will. I've journeyed with you for three and a half years. And 
Now it's, it's time. And he wanted to give the disciples something from a human level. And the human element was that his body from a, from a physical standpoint was going to be broken. He had talked so much about God and angels that at moments it's easy for us just to put Jesus on the cross as that spiritual being. Not understand that that 100% God involved him going to the cross with all the pain that you and I would have been attached to. Rejection, feeling alone, the pain of a a sword going into his side. And so he took the, the bread and he said, this is my body. So grab the bread. This is my body that is broken for you. So let's take the body that is broken for us. And the story would have been cool if it was just the body that was broken. But we needed the next piece, which was the, the juice, the cup, the wine. And I love, it, in one of the Gospels accounts, it says this, that Jesus goes, I have eagerly waited to do this. Like I couldn't wait to do this. Knowing the pain, knowing the humanness that was going to be attached to it. And the, the beauty with the, the blood is that it was for the forgiveness of sins. It was poured out for many. Reminds us of 1 John 1, nine, where it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse us. And so as He held up the cup, He said, This is the blood of the new covenant. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of this new covenant. Drink together. What a great gift, God. We are humbled. Thank you for allowing us to proclaim that you are God who is not dead, but alive. We honor you today. We ask all this in your name. Amen.